following podcast is based on actual X-Files cases. The truth? The truth. files have been closed. All files have been locked away in the Pentagon vault. I've secretly been given access to these files. This is X-Files Truth. Who's mom talking to? Your sister. If we can find them first, maybe the truth can be known. Save it, Agent Mulder. Save it for your report, because until this matter is cleared up, your butt and mine are in a sling, and your investigation, official or otherwise, is terminated. I have a story to tell, Agent Mulder. Believe me, you want to hear it. Are you saying these men are clones? I'm in danger, Fox. We're talking state-sanctioned murder. A bounty hunter's been sent to kill them. He won't stop until he's killed them all, and anyone who tries to stop him. He'll come for me soon. If you've known about this for a year, why hasn't anything been done? This is why the story gets perhaps even more incredible. I mean, whatever happened to trust no one, Mulder? I changed it to trust everyone. I didn't tell you? I have lived with a fragile faith built on the ether of vague memories from an experience that I could neither prove nor explain. When I was 12, my sister was taken from me, taken from our home by a force that I came to believe was extraterrestrial. This belief sustained me, fueling a quest for truths that were as elusive as the memory itself. To believe as passionately as I did was not without sacrifice, but I always accepted the risks my career, my reputation, my relationships, to life itself. 
Welcome back to X-Files Truth. Today's file is Colony. X-File number, classified. The plot. Agent Mulder is airlifted to a hospital near the Arctic Circle. As they lower him into a tub of water, Scully bursts in telling the doctors that the cold is the only thing keeping him alive. Suddenly, Mulder's heart monitor flatlines. This is authorized zero military personnel only. I'm a federal agent. Man. Hold on, I'm not going anywhere until we can see somebody. There is no time for this. A man is dying. What happened to me out on the ice has justified every belief. If I should die now, it will be with the certainty that my faith has been righteous. And if through death larger mysteries are revealed, I will have already learned the answer to the question that has driven me here. That there is intelligent life in the universe other than our own. That they are here among us. And that they have begun to colonize. I'm Dana Scully. I'm Major Mulder's partner. What are his vitals? He's suffering from extreme hypothermia. No. You've got to get him out of the tub. He's dying. He's lost all his body. You've got to listen to me. If you keep him in there, you're going to kill him. The cold is the only thing that's keeping him alive. His heart stopped. Two weeks earlier in the Beaufort Sea, ship crew members spot a light in the sky that soon crashes into the sea. A body is retrieved from the crash, revealing to be a bounty hunter. Two days later, the bounty hunter arrives in an abortion clinic and kills a doctor by stabbing him in the back of the neck with a stiletto, then sets the building on fire and escapes. Mulder receives emails containing the doctor's obituary along with two other identical doctors. After interviewing a pro-life priest who had threatened one of the doctors, they're able to use a newspaper advertisement looking for one of the men to trace another one in Syracuse, New York. Mulder calls Agent Weiss and has him go to the home of the doctor, Aaron Baker. When Weiss arrives, he sees the bounty hunter kill Baker. Weiss bursts in and shoots him but the bounty hunter's green blood causes him to collapse. Mulder and Scully arrive and meet Weiss, who tells him that no one was home. When they leave, it's revealed that Weiss is dead and the bounty hunter assumes his likeness. Walter Skinner closes the case on hearing of Weiss's death. What? Special Agent Baron Weiss, out of the Syracuse office. His body was found stuffed in the trunk of a car in front of a house that you sent him to. It's impossible. I spoke to Agent Weiss. I saw him at the house. Save it, Agent Mulder. Save it for your report, because until this matter is cleared up, your butt and mine are in a sling, and your investigation, official or otherwise, is terminated. Sir. Don't underestimate the seriousness of this matter, Agent Mulder. A man is dead. I want a full accounting on my desk in the morning. Mulder and Scully are contacted by another doctor with the same appearance, James Dickens. The agents meet CIA agent Ambrose Chappell, who tells them that the doctors are part of a Russian genetic experiment codenamed Gregor. The doctors, who are clones, are being killed under an arrangement with the U.S. and Russian governments. I have a story to tell, Agent Mulder. Believe me, you want to hear it. We've known of their existence for a decade. We had no idea they were in the country until last year. Who are they? We're working on vague intelligence reports. 
but it appears that early in the Cold War, Soviet scientists stumbled on a genetic anomaly in sets of identical twins. They were able to isolate the specific DNA material that gave the twins their facial features, hair color, texture, and they were able to reproduce it. Are you saying these men are clones? By all outward appearances. How did they get here? The program went by the code name Gregor, the name given to every clone. We believe the original Gregor came here sometime in the mid-70s on a German passport. Using that same document, they were able to bring a small cadre of clones into the country, several of which have obtained strategic positions in the medical establishment. For what purpose? In the event of war, they would mobilize simultaneously at different facilities across the U.S. to contaminate blood supplies, sabotage pharmaceutical factories, essentially destroy the country's immune system. If you've known about this for a year, why hasn't anything been done? Well, this is where the story gets perhaps even more incredible. In a secret agreement, someone is allowing the Gregors to be systematically eliminated by a man who I believe is a Russian spy killer in exchange for the absolute suppression of the program's existence and to obtain the science that created it. What's your business in this? I believe we share similar sentiments on our government's policies of denial which is why they've been trying to contact you. Who? The Gregors. You've obviously got a reputation as someone who might protect them and bring these misdeeds to light. What makes you think we've been contacted? Your inquiries into their deaths. And your response to the ad I placed. We're talking state-sanctioned murder. If we can find them first, maybe the truth can be known. We know where one of these men may be. Mulder, Scully, and Chapel head to Dickens' house, but when Dickens sees Chapel, he jumps out the window and runs off. Mulder and Scully and Chapel chase him and Chapel, who is actually the bounty hunter, kills Dickens in an alley. Scully arrives too late to witness the killing, but unknowingly steps in the remains of Dickens, a puddle of corrosive green ooze. Scully questions Mulder about Chapel, but given his credentials and experience, Mulder believes him. Scully performs an autopsy on Agent Weiss and finds that his blood has coagulated and that his red blood cell count is excessively high. Mulder, meanwhile, is summoned back home due to a family emergency. Scully finds an address on a bag recovered from Dickens' home and heads there, finding it to be a lab where Chapel is destroying everything inside. Mulder arrives at his father's house where a woman claims to be his sister, Samantha. Who is Mom talking to? Your sister. Samantha claims that she was returned around age nine with no memory and remembered her abduction due to regression hypnosis. She tells Mulder that the bounty hunter and the clones are actually aliens and that the bounty hunter won't stop until all the clones are dead and that the bounty hunter will come for her soon. I'm in danger, Fox. What do you mean? You've been contacted. You know there's a man hunting my father and the other doctors. 
your father. My adoptive parents, they're only visitors here. What people would call aliens. A bounty hunter's been sent to kill them. You've met this man. His lies to you have caused others like my father to die. He won't stop until he's killed them all. And anyone who tries to stop him. He'll come for me soon. Meanwhile, Scully heads to a hotel to hide from Agent Chapel. Returning to the lab, she finds four more clones who claim to be the last. She arranges for them to be transported to a safe place, but the bounty hunter follows her and watches. At her hotel room, Scully finds Mulder at her door and lets him in, only to receive a phone call from Agent Mulder right after. field report for Colony. I really love Colony. I think this is one of the best episodes, uh, certainly up to this point, maybe the best one. It's kind of, I look at this as kind of the very first real X-File when they seem to have a really good idea of what the plot was going to be like and uh, you know they combined all the right characters and plot lines and everything just started to come together. So this is exactly where I would say that the X-Files became the X-Files. And it's a two-parter, so, you know, you get that cliffhanger, so, you know, there's definitely going to be a sequel. I love everything about this episode. And you get so much explanation, too, with uh, Samantha, who's, you know, one of the main plot lines through the whole story. She explains this whole myth arc so well when she talks to Mulder, too. It's just, it's incredible. So you get so much detail in this one. So I love it when Samantha tells Mulder the whole myth arc of the X-Files, almost. So like I said, for the Mythometer, it's definitely a myth arc, and the sequelizer has a potential for a sequel, obviously, because it's, uh, it's a high potential, because you get a sequel, plus it's part of the main storyline for the X-Files. Uh, my 1 to 10 rating, I would give this probably a 10 right across the board for mythologies. It's one of the be better mythologies, maybe one of the best. Uh, compared to all X-Files episodes, it's a 10. Compared to TV shows, it's a 10. It's a great episode, so... And if you like this episode, you're going to love, I know I've talked about it before, but you're going to really love the uh, mythology set. It's a four-volume set, and each volume has um, a bunch of discs in it, but it's just the mythology episode. This one will be in it, and uh, if you like the storyline, definitely go get the mythology series. Um, Black Oil, Abduction, Colonization, and Super Soldiers. Those are the four titles for the four volumes. So you're going to love that, but anyway... Go get that. So, pending any further evidence, this case, Colony, is filed open. Now let's hand it off to Chelsea down in the chem lab and see what she has for the chemistry between Mulder and Scully for Colony. I'm all alone. 
Agent Chelsea here, and this week's episode is Colony. Yep, the first episode to the amazing two-parter. This is where we really get into the mythology. You can tell right away from the opener. Mulder has a voiceover, and he's hurt. Ding, ding, ding. Now, that's not to say that this automatically is a mythology, but more than likely it would be. Scully, as always, barges in to try to help Mulder, because she knows how to truly save him. Now... Before you get too confused, the episode backs up a bit and starts at the beginning. Mulder receives some emails, aka some helpful hints from his informant, and he and Scully check them out. I don't know about you, but just over five minutes into this episode and we are already swimming in plot. Now sure, not I didn't describe truly everything that goes on in these first five minutes or so, but when you watch this episode... You're surprised at how much has happened with what little time has passed. Now, it's really hard to not get too into the mythology here, so I apologize in advance if I'm repeating a lot of what the other agents say. I'm only going to focus on a few scenes here. Like the one after they pursue another doctor with the CIA guy. Mulder seems a bit trusting in this episode, doesn't he? Scully even calls him out on this, to which Mulder humorously replies, I changed it to trust everyone, didn't I tell you? He tells Scully that he's checked out the CIA guy, but you can't do a background check on someone pretending to be someone else when you don't know that that someone is pretending to be someone else, am I right? Oh boy, I just confused myself there. Now I love how Scully stands up to Mulder in this scene. I think she's totally justified in the fact that Mulder can't just expect her to follow him despite everything going on. She mentions the fact that a field agent died because of their pursuit on the case. But you know what? Mulder makes a good point as well. Those are the risks that we take. That's what FBI agents are for. Not to get killed, but to do their job and pursue dangerous people. Unfortunately, sometimes the bad guys win. You can't help that. And I think that's why Scully continues on. She jumps back into the science and the evidence to help justify working on the case. She sees the evidence, and that's why she keeps going. Just like Mulder keeps going because of his need to find the truth. Now, something totally weird happens for Mulder here. He gets a phone call for a family emergency. This is weird, right? For Mulder? So Scully investigates on her own a bit, and this is what I like about Scully. She backs off when she should. You know, she pursues the address that she got off the doctor's bag... But once she sees that green goo on the floor again, the goo that burned her shoe off, and hears someone walking around and just basically it sounds dangerous, she goes home. And you know what? She was followed, but she didn't get herself in trouble. Honestly, she probably would have been killed if she did. Now, what's Mulder's family emergency? Samantha's home. What? 
Now, I don't know about you, but I was kind of, sort of, not really shocked about this. We saw this actress in an earlier scene. So I immediately thought, oh, that girl from the other scene is playing them somehow, or pretending to be Samantha, just like the guy killing everyone is pretending to be all these other people to get in. But when she tells Mulder her story and what happened, you can't help but start to believe her. I think even Mulder starts to believe her. Uh, do you look at his face when she hugs him and it, he just looks broken up? Now when Samantha explains that this guy who's trying to kill all those doctors can disguise himself as anyone, I thought Mulder would start to doubt Samantha, but if anything, he trusts her more. Scully's smart. She tries to lose whoever is following her and gets out, but she fails when she calls Mulder and tells him her plan on the bus. The camera pans over to the bounty hunter, and the look on his face cracks me up. His face is just practically screaming, gosh, you're an idiot. <laughs> um, 11.21 is on the clock, and that leads to Mulder coming to visit Scully at her hotel room. But wait, the phone rings, and it's Mulder? Bam, to be continued. Bum bum bum. What a cliffhanger, am I right? Now, absolutely, I'm giving this episode a rating of 4.9 out of 5. Why not 5 out of 5? It's just one-tenth of a point. Well, because we haven't gotten to the next episode. And let me tell you, that's definitely worth a higher rating. Hope you guys all enjoyed this review. What's your rating? Let us know at xfilestruth at live.com. X-Files Web Report Hello everyone, this is Agent M and welcome to another edition of the X-Files Truth Web Report. And this is going to be my final web report. And just so you know, I'm not leaving the X-Files Truth team. I'm just going back to be working behind the scenes on the show and also working with Agent Shadow on some other projects. This is also an invitation for any of you guys if you'd like to join the team and cover the web report segment. So, please, feel free to contact me or any of the other agents at our X-Files Truth website, and that can be found at xfilestruth.com, or you can also contact me at agentm1013 at gmail.com. This week's focus is going to be on the official site of actor Brian Thompson. who played one of the coolest aliens on X-Files, the alien bounty hunter. And the website can be found at bryanthompson.com. I have to say, this is a pretty cool website. I was pretty impressed with it. On the homepage, it has a slideshow of screen grabs of the actor's various roles. Now, right below that is his filmography. These are little thumbnails that you can scroll through of all his film and television appearances. And across the top, you have a number of tabs that could be clicked on. Of course, the first one's the home page. The second one's the credits. And it's a direct link to Internet Movie Database. 
The image gallery has got tons of pictures, too, that can be viewed. And there's even a couple of pics from his childhood. The demo reel tab is a direct link to YouTube. There you can view a six-minute video, which is a compilation of some of the actor's works. The next tab is his contacts tab. That's basically just contact information for his agents. And on the fan store, you can also order pictures from the website. And lastly is the message board, which is a direct link to Facebook, and you can even add him as a friend. And as I said before, this is a pretty cool website, and I think you guys will enjoy exploring it on your own. And that can be found at brianthompson.com. And I will also post that link on our X-Files Truth website. And again, that site is xfilestruth.com. Well, guys, that's all I have. This is Agent M signing off. So long, everyone. Just tell me where she is. She's alive. Can you die now? Counterintelligence. Inside information. This is Agent Stone with Counterintelligence for X2.16 Colony. Original air date February 10, 1995. Written by Chris Carter, based on a story by Chris Carter and David Coveney, and directed by Nick Mark. There is intelligent life in the universe other than our own, that they are here among us, and that they have begun to colonize. The reappearance of a long-since abducted sister, a morphine alien bounty hunter, an oozing green fluid that substitutes for blood and multiple cloned extraterrestrial abortion clinic doctors? And this is just the first of a two-parter! Jeesh! In motion pictures and animation, Morphing is a special effect that changes or morphs one image into another through a seamless transition. Most often it is used to depict one person turning into another through technological means or as part of a fantasy or surreal sequence. It originally appeared most notably in Michael Jackson's music video for the song Black or White and in the movies Terminator 2 Judgment Day and Star Trek VI The Undiscovered Country. Any unusual variation or abnormality in the shape, structure, and or function of an organ, body part, or tissue is commonly referred to as a birth defect. However, congenital anomaly is the more accurate and preferred term since birth defect can be misinterpreted to mean a defect produced by the birthing process. Congenital anomalies may be external or internal, single or multiple, major or minor, and by definition are present at and almost always before birth, although in some cases detection or diagnosis occurs well after birth. As a group, congenital anomalies are common, have a wide range of clinical severity, and can develop in one form or another in any anatomical structure or location. There are many different causes of congenital anomalies, known and unknown, but in terms of how they developed, there are four major types. Malformations, deformations, disruptions, and dysplasias. 
An important task in both medical and socio-cultural contexts lies in determining what constitutes a congenital anomaly and what qualifies as an accepted morphological variant. Compared with the complex and evolving social issues of perception and acceptance, the medical approach to distinguishing normal variants from minor and major anomalies is more object and direct. Regardless of the anatomical structure or process, the primary criterion involves evaluating whether its function, shape, structure, and or size fall within or outside the normal range. What are identical twins? A general stereotype about identical twins is that they are clones. They act alike, look alike, and are expected to be identical. However, the term identical twins actually refers to a type of twinning and describes how they form, not what they look like. The correct term for identical twinning is monozygotic. Monozygotic twins form from a single, or mono, fertilized egg, or zygote. The zygote splits into two parts after conception, resulting in the development of two individual embryos. Because the two embryos are the result of a single egg-sperm combination, they have the same genetic origins. They have the same DNA. Dizygotic twins, often referred to as fraternal, are the result of two eggs fertilized by two separate sperm. Although most women only release a single egg in an ovulation cycle, sometimes multiple eggs are released. Dizygotic twins share about 50% of their genetic traits, the same as any other siblings born at different times. The causes of monozygotic twinning are generally unknown and unidentified. No one really knows why an egg splits, Technically, it's a malfunction of the normal development process. There's no hereditary trait that influences a predisposition to having identical twins. Identical twins do not run in families. Although there are families with a high incidence of identical twins, it is due to chance, coincidence, or plain good luck. While many identical twins do look alike, they're not necessarily indistinguishable. Physical cues like hairstyle, arrangement of moles or freckles, and their unique expressions or gestures provide clues to their identity. Cloning, in biology, is the process of producing similar populations of genetically identical individuals that occurs in nature when organisms such as bacteria, insects, or plants reproduce asexually. Cloning in biotechnology refers to processes used to create copies of DNA fragments, or molecular cloning, cells, cell cloning, or organisms. The term also refers to the production of multiple copies of a product such as digital media or software. The term clone is derived from the ancient Greek word clone or twig referring to the process whereby a new plant can be created from a twig. Molecular cloning refers to the process of making multiple molecules. Cloning is commonly used to amplify DNA fragments containing whole genes, but it can also be used to amplify any DNA sequence such as promoters, non-coding sequences, and randomly fragmented DNA. It is used in a wide array of biological experiments and practical applications ranging from genetic fingerprinting to large-scale protein production. Occasionally, the term cloning is misleadingly used to refer to the identification of the chromosomal location of a gene associated with a particular phenotype of interest, such as in positional cloning. In practice, localization of the gene to a chromosome or genomic region does not necessarily enable one to isolate or amplify the relevant genomic sequence. To amplify any DNA sequence in a living organism, that sequence must be linked to an origin of replication, which is a sequence of DNA capable of directing the propagation of itself in any linked sequence. 
However, a number of other features are needed in a variety of specialized cloning vectors or small piece of DNA into which a foreign DNA fragment can be inserted exist that allow protein expression tagging single-stranded RNA and DNA production and a host of other manipulations. Cloning of any DNA fragment essentially involves four steps. Fragmentation, or breaking apart a strand of DNA. Ligation, gluing together pieces of DNA in a desired sequence. Transfection, inserting the newly formed pieces of DNA into cells. And screening or selection, of selecting out the cells that were successfully transfected with the new DNA. Cloning a cell means to derive a population of cells from a single cell. In the case of unicellular organisms such as bacteria and yeast, this process is remarkably simple and essentially only requires the inoculation of the appropriate medium. However, in the case of cell cultures from multicellular organisms, cell cloning is an arduous task as those cells will not readily grow in standard media. A useful tissue culture technique used to clone distinct lineage of cell lines involves the use of cloning rings or cylinders. According to this technique, a single cell suspension of cells that have been exposed to a mutagenic agent or drug used to derive selection is plated at high dilution to create isolated colonies, each arising from a single and potentially clonal distinct cell. At an early growth stage, when colonies consist of only a few cells, a sterile polystyrene rings or cloning rings, which has been dipped in grease and are placed over an individual colony and a small amount of trypsism is added. Clone cells are collected from inside the ring and transferred into a new vessel for further growth. Organism cloning, also called reproductive cloning, refers to the procedure of creating a new multicellular organism genetically identical to another. In essence, this form of cloning is an asexual method of reproduction where fertilization or intergamete cannot take place. Asexual reproduction is a natural occurring phenomenon in many species, including most plants and some insects. Scientists have made some major achievements with cloning, including the asexual reproduction of sheep and cows. There is a lot of ethical debate over whether or not cloning should be used. However, cloning or asexual propagation has been common practice in the horticultural world for hundreds of years. Artificial cloning of organisms may also be called reproductive cloning. Reproductive cloning generally uses somatic cellular nuclear transfer, or SCNT, to create animals that are genetically identical. This process entails the transfer of a nucleus from a donor adult cell, or a somatic cell, to an egg that has no nucleus. If the egg begins to divide normally, it is transferred into the uterus of the surrogate mother. Such clones are not strictly identical since the somatic cells may contain mutations in their nuclear DNA. Additionally, the mitochondria in the cytoplasm also contains DNA, and during SCNT, this mitochondrial DNA is wholly from the cytoplasmic donor's egg, thus the mitochondrial genome is not the same as that of the nucleus donor cell from which it was produced. This may have important implications for cross-species nuclear transfer, in which nuclear mitochondrial incapabilities may lead to death. Ever heard of Dolly the Sheep? Dolly, who is a Findorus ewe, was the first mammal to have been successfully cloned from an adult cell. Dolly was formed by taking a cell from the udder of her biological mother. Her embryo was created by taking the cell and inserting it into a sheep ovum. The embryo was then placed inside a female sheep that went through a normal pregnancy. 
She was cloned at the Roslyn Institute in Scotland and lived there from her birth in 1996 until her death in 2003 when she was six. Dolly was publicly significant because the effort showed that genetic material from a specific adult cell programmed to express only a distinct subset of its genes can be reprogrammed to grow an entirely new organism. The modern cloning techniques involving nuclear transfer have been successfully performed on several species. Landmark experiments include tadpoles in the 50s, carp in the 60s, mice in the 80s, sheep in the 90s, agar in 2000, cats, dogs, rats, mule, a horse, water buffalo, camel, and in 2012, a pashmina goat. Now, human cloning is the creation of a genetically identical copy of an existing or previously existing human. The term is generally used to refer to artificial human cloning. Human clones in the form of identical twins are commonplace, with their cloning occurring during the natural process of reproduction. There are two commonly discussed types of human cloning, therapeutic cloning and reproductive cloning. Therapeutic cloning involves cloning adult cells for use in medicine and is an active area of research. Reproductive cloning would involve making cloned humans. A third type of cloning called replacement cloning is a theoretical possibility and would be a combination of therapeutic and reproductive cloning. Replacement cloning would entail the replacement of an extensively damaged, failed, or failing body through cloning, followed by whole or partial brain transplantation. The various forms of human cloning are controversial. There have been numerous demands for all progress in the human cloning field to be halted. Most scientific, governmental, and religious organizations oppose reproductive cloning. The American Association for the Advancement of Science and other scientific organizations have made public statements suggesting that human reproductive cloning be banned until safety issues are resolved. Serious ethical concerns have been raised by the future possibility of harvesting organs from clones. Some people have considered the idea of growing organs separately from a human organism. In doing this, a new organ supply could be established without the moral implications of harvesting them from humans. Research is also being done on the idea of growing organs that are biologically acceptable to the human body inside other organisms such as pigs or cows, then transplanting them to humans, a form of xenotransplantation. The first hybrid human clone was created in November 1998 by Advanced Cell Technologies. It was created from a man's leg cell and a cow's egg whose DNA was removed. It was destroyed after 12 days. Since a normal embryo implant at 14 days, Dr. Robert Lanza's ACT's Director of Tissue Engineering told the Daily Mail newspaper that the embryo could not be seen as a person before 14 days. While making an embryo, which may have resulted in a complete human had it been allowed to come to term, according to ACT, the aim was therapeutic cloning, not reproductive cloning. So. The themes of Colony and Endgame are not specific to this episode and are in fact in present throughout the entire series from Season 1's Eve to the Season 3 and 4 Ender and Opener of Talitha Kumai and Heronvolk. In the words of Agent M, just to name a few. While on Earth, we may not be able to be technologically advanced enough just yet to make our own set of Gregors, Who's to say it doesn't exist off-world, in another place, another time, another dimension, or another world? The final word on Colony 
Whatever happened to trust no one? I changed it to trust everyone. Didn't I tell you? What's out there for Colony? A lot of reviews paired with the second parter Endgame. Let me tell you, it was really, really hard to find a review that just talked about Colony. And even some of the ones that I'm reading today are kind of clipped to not to not uh, tell the spoilers, basically, because I don't want to spoil it for you guys if you guys are watching it for the first time. Plus, I want to stay focused on this episode. So, our first review comes from I Made This Chris Carter. I might be overpraising it a bit to suggest this, but this is a real watershed episode for the show. It introduces new elements to its then-developing mythology. It's the first episode to use the flashback narrative, opening with a main character in dire straits and then showing how we got to that point, and is also the first time that the mythology is shown to be not just a fight to uncover conspiracies in the government, but an even bigger and more epic fight than ever before. We know this one is going to lead to the Arctic somehow, going by its opening, but we'll have to wait to Endgame to see how. Just the idea that the story is going away from the corridors of Washington to the icy atmosphere of the Arctic suggests that even bigger moments await. So very true. Um, we are just the tip of the iceberg, and we are going further into the mythology next episode. But I really like what he said here about um, this being the first episode that kind of shows you the ending, and then goes all the way back to the beginning and shows you how um, how they all got there. I really like episodes like that. I don't know. It kind of just it gets me anxious throughout the entire episode in like a very good way. Um, like I'm just dying to know what happens and how they got there. I mean, Mulder is essentially dying. So yeah, we kind of want to know how everything got there. Um, so I thought that was, that just kind of put it really nicely. Our next review comes from munchkin.com. If the X-Files has a motto, it is not the truth is out there, but we are not who we are. The character who is not what he seems to be is almost a hallmark of the show. In Colony, Mulder himself turns out to be a ringer. Later we discover not only are the doctors not Russians, they're not even human. The usual ambiguities apply. The good guys are not necessarily all that good. Their human tissue experiments have more in common with the works of Nazi genesis in the death camps experimenting with human subjects. Time after time, Mulder and Scully's allies FBI Agent Weiss, CIA Agent Chappelle, turn out to be the enemy in disguise. I don't know whether to compliment David Duchovny's writing or his acting for the nuclear intensity of Mulder's scenes with his father. Mulder goes to embrace his father, and the old man puts him off stiffly with a formal handshake and lecture. We see that Mulder gets his stubbornness from his father. Now this is one of those reviews I kind of had to cut and paste together to kind of avoid spoilers because it was a really good review 
Um, but it also mentioned Endgame a lot, so I kind of had to snip those pieces out. But I really like what this review said about the whole theme of the episode being we are not who we are, because, I mean, I really feel like that's kind of the theme of the entire show, um, you know, with, with especially with all of the alien mythology. Um, I just thought that really put it well, and I like that this reviewer mentioned a lot about the acting. Um, I would, if I could read more, I would have read the part they mentioned, um, Gillian Anderson's acting, but I really like what they wrote about David and the meeting of his father. Just that simple, simple moment of him trying to hug him, but his father sticking out his hand to shake it instead very clearly defines what their relationship is. Just that single moment. I, I, I really liked it a lot. Our next review comes from Daily Drew. But this, the first genuine two-parter of the series, arguably goes too far in the other direction, particularly in this opening installment. A tremendous amount of information is packed into this episode, which appears to confirm not only that aliens exist, but that one set of aliens has been secretly colonizing the planet for years while another alien is trying to kill them all one by one. That's fascinating stuff, and it represents a huge step forward for the series. But there's a lot more here, too. Without a doubt, this is a very strong episode, and the overall two-part story is also pretty good. But I can't shake the feeling that it could have been a lot stronger had it been a bit more focused. Now, the reason why I wanted to include this bit in Out There was because this was kind of mentioned throughout other reviews as well. A lot of people said that there was just a lot going on and that it could have been tidied up a bit, but that they still really liked it and it's still really good. It's just there was just a lot going on here. Um, I think that's true, but I think if we had it any simpler, we, w we all would have been wanting more. Um, so I think it's kind of one of those things you just wish you... The grass is green on the other side kind of thing, I guess. You wish um, you had what you don't have. And uh, I think overall it's still really good and that we all enjoyed it says something. So that is what's out there for Colony. To the truth is still out there, our X-Files current events segment. I'm Agent Summer, filling in for Agent Chelsea this week. The tall man has a new promo poster. 
For those that follow the podcast, you'll know that the movie features William B. Davis. The movie follows a dying mining town whose children vanish without a trace and will be in theaters on August 31st. Mitch Pileggi appeared recently on the fifth episode of the reboot of Dallas. In the episode titled Truth and Consequences, Pileggi makes his first appearance as Harris Ryland, a character handling the oil coming out of South Fork who has a past with Anne. If you missed his appearance, I managed to find the next best thing, photos of Pileggi on the show, which will be on the podcast website. The character will also be featured on several episodes, so be sure to keep an eye out for him. Robert Patrick was recently interviewed by the Australian Morning Show. In the interview, his roles on the big and small screen are discussed, including some clips and a mention of his work on the X-Files. Patrick goes on to talk about how lucky he is to work as an actor, how his family keeps him grounded, and his latest projects. Are you looking forward to an all-new season of Vince Gilligan's series, Breaking Bad? The show will start its fifth season on July 15th at 10:9 Central on AMC, and we found an exclusive video with cast as well as Gilligan. We'll of course have the link for you so you can check it out, but please be advised there are a few spoilers. For our listeners in the UK, be sure to keep an eye out for the July issue of Voyager magazine. Inside the issue, you'll find a great interview with none other than Gillian Anderson. The actress graces a cover as well. The full interview is on Gillian's website along with photos and of course we'll have the links for you. Speaking of Gillian, the actress was recently spotted filming scenes for her new series, The Fall. The series follows a serial killer who stalks his victims at random, and Detective Superintendent Gibson, played by Anderson, who is brought in to catch him. The series will air on BBC Two in the UK later this year. David Duchovny's film, Goats, has a new trailer. The film follows a young boy as he leaves his home in Tucson to study at the same East Coast school as his father. The boy's childhood was spent living with his mother and was influenced by the Goat Man, a man who lives in his mother's pool house and taught him the meaning of commitment, stability, and expanding one's mind. As the boy adjusts to his new environment on the East Coast, he reconnects with his estranged father and finds his life in contrast to his past. That's the news this week. Be sure to check out the X-Files Truth website for links to all the information in this segment. And also be sure to like us on Facebook for even more news. The truth is still out there. Go find it.
Character Profiles Profiles in Character This week's profile, The Alien Bounty Hunter, as portrayed by Brian Thompson, whose first appearance is in our feature episode of a two-parter in Colony and Endgame. In the public consciousness, the term alien bounty hunter probably brings to mind the name Boba Fett. But in the X-Files universe, here in Season 2, we get our own bounty hunter, but not one who is a tracker out for money hunting down a smuggling scoundrel pilot of a Karelian vessel who has to drop shipments because even he gets boarded sometimes. No. Our alien bounty hunter is a shapeshifter who has the ability to distinguish himself as anyone, even at the same time as the person that they appear to be. Regardless of how they are disguised, bounty hunters are immediately recognizable to clones. Due to the toxic nature of their blood, which, like that of the clones, is green, human exposure to it is fatal. Bounty hunters can only be killed by precisely piercing the base of their skulls. They all seem to use the same human form as their default form. Some of the faceless alien rebels use this form as well. They may be of the same extraterrestrial race as the faceless rebel aliens and or the gray aliens. The bounty hunters are infected with the black oil virus while each of the same virus. The bounty hunters act as police for the alien colonists. Their job is to keep Earth free from any aliens or clones that don't have permission by the colonists to be there like the Gregor clones and the Samantha clones, or any aliens that may expose colonization like the faceless aliens. Bounty hunters lived in harmony with clones for many years. The peaceful relationship between the two races could have led them to share the planet Earth. Unfortunately for the clones, however, the bounty hunters were employed by the Grey Aliens. Acting on orders given to them by the Grey Aliens, the bounty hunters were tasked with eliminating all proof of an alien presence already on Earth before colonization of that planet was due to begin, including ridding Earth of the clones. An early mission for one of the bounty hunters was the elimination of Josh Exley, an alien that had become disillusioned with his race and adopted human culture, particularly baseball, as his own. In 1947, a bounty hunter tracked Exley to Roswell, New Mexico, and killed him. When it was learned that the clones were attempting to establish a colony on Earth without permission from the colonists and had been conducting hybridization experiments that would erase their identical natures, a bounty hunter was dispatched to destroy the clones and terminate their colony because the experiments were not sanctioned and were considered a dilution of their race. Our bounty hunter appears in Colony when, in January 1995, a bounty hunter's UFO crashed in the icy Arctic waters of the Beaufort Sea. The crew of the nearby research vessel Alta recovered the pilot of the craft from the freezing water, believing he was a Russian fighter pilot who had miraculously survived the extreme Arctic temperatures. The extraterrestrial was airlifted to a military hospital in Alaska where he was listed in stable condition. While authorities attempted to determine the pilot's exact identity, however, the bounty hunter escaped from the hospital. In Teaneck, New Jersey, the bounty hunter killed Dr. Harvey Buchanan, a Gregor series clone, on January 10, 1995. Heading north, the bounty hunter then killed another Gregor series clone, Dr. Dale Greyhart, in New York City. Two days after the bounty hunter had escaped from 
a hospital, another Gregor series clone, Dr. Landon Prince, watched televised news reporting the discovery of the bounty hunter while at an abortion clinic in Scranton, Pennsylvania, where he worked. The clone became increasingly worried as he watched the news report and immediately recognized the bounty hunter's face. He desperately tried to flee from the clinic but was stopped by the alien bounty hunter. The alien strangled him and demanded to know where a particular unnamed man was located. When the clone replied that he did not know where the man was, the bounty hunter used a gimlet weapon to stab him in the back of the neck. His green bubbling blood oozed out of his body. The bounty hunter caused an electrical fire that activated an alarm and he left the clinic as the burning building began to fill with smoke. The bounty hunter continued north to Syracuse, New York, where he encountered another Gregor series clone, Dr. Aaron Baker. After the bounty hunter entered Dr. Baker's home, the clone attempted to reason with the bounty hunter, reminding him that for years the relationship between their two races had not been hostile. However, the bounty hunter refused to listen to Dr. Baker and pushed the clone against a wall, holding him by his throat. The alien threatened Dr. Baker that plans devised by the clones would not be successful before slamming the doctor's face into the wall and subsequently killing the clone with his gimlet weapon. Moments after the clone's dead body fell to the floor, FBI Special Agent Barrett Weiss entered, aiming his gun at the bounty hunter. Although Agent Weiss ordered the assassin to drop his gimlet weapon, Weiss became startled when he saw Dr. Baker's body turn into a green liquid bubbling and oozing. The bounty hunter was about to attack Agent Weiss when the agent shot him three times in the chest. Unmoving, the assassin looked down at his chest to see that he was leaking the same green liquid that Dr. Baker and Prince had. As the bounty hunter glared back up at the agent, Weiss began to be affected by the intoxicating reaction the green liquid had on humans. The bounty hunter killed Agent Weiss, dressed himself in the agent's clothes, and stored Weiss in the luggage compartment of his own car. Weiss had been sent to Dr. Baker's home by Special Agents Fox Mulder and Dana Scully, who had already learned that someone had killed the other identical doctors. After assuming Agent Weiss's appearance, the bounty hunter met with Mulder and Scully. When Mulder asked if he had found Dr. Baker, the distinguished assassin claimed negatively and lied that he had only discovered two weeks' worth of mail in the mailbox of the doctor's house. Nevertheless, Mulder insisted on inspecting the house with Scully, as they did so, the camouflaged bounty hunter walked to Agent Weiss's car and opened the car's trunk, where the real Weiss lay naked except for his underwear, before the assassin returned to his original human appearance and closed the trunk. The bounty hunter looked at Dr. Baker's home for a few moments before he walked away from the area. The bounty hunter then headed to Agent Scully's home in Washington, D.C., and had assumed the appearance of a CIA agent before he met Mulder there. The alien introduced himself as Agent Ambrose Chapel and showed Mulder a CIA identification badge with that name on it. In Scully's apartment, the bounty hunter, continued to act as if he were a CIA agent, told Mulder and Scully about the identical murder victims, explaining that they were Gregor series clones, and claiming that they had been murdered by a Russian spy killer because though they had been created by Soviet scientists during the Cold War in a plan to sabotage various U.S. medical facilities in the event of war, they were no longer required. The bounty hunter, disguised as Agent Chapel, claimed that someone in the U.S. government was allowing the clones to be systematically eliminated and made it clear to Agents Mulder and Scully that he had intended on finding the clones to expose the truth about their state-sanctioned murders. Consequently, Mulder and Scully effectively led the alien to his next victim, Dr. James Dickens, without knowing that they were doing so. 
Upon meeting the clone with the FBI agents, the bounty hunter, even though still disguised as Agent Chapel, was immediately recognized by Dr. Dickens, who desperately fled from the assassin through a window in his apartment. In pursuit of the clone, the bounty hunter became separated from the FBI agents and killed Dr. Dickens after cornering him in an alley and reassuming his own most common appearance. By the time Agent Scully arrived, the bounty hunter had again disguised himself as Agent Ambrose Chapel. He claimed that Dr. Dickens had managed to escape before he walked away, leaving a pool of the clone's green blood to be found by Scully. The bounty hunter later went to a laboratory that Dr. Dickens and the last remaining Gregor series clones had been using to conduct the hybridization experiments. There, the alien executed another clone, leaving more green blood near the door to the facility. While the assassin, disguised as Agent Chapel, was destroying scientific equipment, Scully quietly entered the room, but soon left when she saw the disguised bounty hunter who noticed her leave. He continued to track her, using his most common appearance. The bounty hunter caught a bus that Scully took to the laboratory the next day. On the bus, he overheard her make a phone call to Mulder and leave a message in which she revealed that she would be staying at the Vacation Village Motor Lodge in Germantown, Maryland. Later, the alien watched from a rooftop as Scully helped the remaining Gregor series clones desert their facility for the safety of a maximum security federal stockade. That night, the alien assumed the disguise of a federal marshal who had access to the stockade, and after infiltrating the prison, he secretly eliminated each of the remaining Gregor series clones with his gimlet weapon. After the complete eradication of the Gregor series clones, the bounty hunter's main targets became Agent Mulder and a clone of his sister, Samantha Mulder, who was traveling with him. The alien journeyed to the Vacation Village Motor Lodge and disguised himself as Mulder. Scully let him into her room as he fooled her into believing he was her FBI partner by claiming he had received her own phone message. After she received a phone call from the real Mulder, however, Scully realized her mistake and attempted to arrest the alien. Ignorant of who had called her, the bounty hunter initially continued his attempts to persuade Scully that he was Mulder, but he soon gave up hope of convincing her and instead assaulted her, knocking her against a wall. Correctly guessing that she had just been called by the real Mulder, the bounty hunter demanded to know the location of her FBI partner. When she refused to answer him and began reaching for her gun, the alien grabbed her by the throat and lifted her above his head against the wall with one hand. When she claimed ignorance as to his questions, he threw her up so that upon landing she broke through a glass table. The bounty hunter returned to his most common appearance before exiling the room with an unconscious scully. Now, Brian Thompson will appear as the alien bounty hunter into Season 8 in a total of 9 X-Files episodes. But when Brian Thompson guest-starred as the pilot in Season 2-parter's Colony and Endgame, he thought it was a one-shot deal. He'd come in, pose as a drowned Russian fighter pilot, annihilate some alien clones, and move on to his next project. The two simple lines of dialogue suggested by David Kevney on the day of the shoot managed to weave Thompson irrevocably into the show's tangled mythology. Quote, I was only slated to work those two episodes, Thompson recalls. That one line, Mulder asked me, where's my sister? And I said, she's alive, tied me to the mythology of the show. I didn't know it at the time, but six months later they said, why don't you come in and shoot another two-part episode, which was the season three closer to Litha Kumai, and the following season Oper Herrenvolk. End quote. Most people have probably recognized Brian Thompson from his various roles in movies and television since his appearance in Terminator in 1984. 
Other notable appearances include Knight Rider, Cobra, Three Amigos, Werewolf, which still isn't on DVD, Alien Nation, Fright Night Part 2, Star Trek shows The Next Generation, Deep Space Nine, and Enterprise, Kindred the Embrace, Dragonheart, Buffy the Vampire Slayer, Joe Dirt, Charmed, NCIS, Chuck, and most recently, with David Duchovny yet again, in Californication. checked your email? I found these in my email this morning. And now, the female with the emails, Agent Chelsea. Alright, we got one email this week from Lil. Another great podcast on Fresh Bones. Just wanted to point out one thing. Agent Chelsea brought up Mulder buying the charm against Voodoo from the little boy in the episode. Do you think, perhaps, that this was almost like him buying flowers for Scully? Mulder and Scully are such good friends and partners. I just love the sexual tension between them. Lil. Um, that's a great point, Lil. I think it's kind of exactly like that. Only, I think it was very important to the episode as well. So, I don't know if it was, um, if that was the intent for Mulder buying the charm. I think it was more of him just being superstitious and like to go along with all the superstition and buying charms and such but you could definitely think of it that way um thank you for writing in if you want to send us an email send it to xfilestruth at live.com you can email us your thoughts on the episode any questions you have anything basically and we'll read it here on the podcast You can also send us feedback on our Facebook page and check out when our episodes come out and any other news that we post on there. Search X-Files Truth on our Facebook page and like our timeline. You can also send us a review on iTunes. Scroll down to the bottom and hit hit your rating for us, one out of five stars, and write a little blurb about what you think about us. And be sure to check out our website, which is xfilestruth.com. There you will find the link to our episode to listen to it. You can also find all of our contact information, all of the links that we talk about on the show, and basically everything. So we hope you'll check all that out, and we hope to hear from you. Next time on X-Files Truth, 
when the shape-shifting alien bounty hunter takes Scully hostage in exchange for Mulder's sister. The agent tracks his nemesis to a surfaced submarine at the Arctic Circle to learn the whereabouts of the real Samantha and engage the extraterrestrial in a final confrontation. X-Files DNA. The end theme that I injected with X-Files DNA today is the X-Files Children Remix. I got it off YouTube and uh, doesn't have the, the artist name there, but you can find it on YouTube if you just search for that. So we'll see you guys in two weeks for Colony. Remember to check out the website, xfilestruth.com, and send us your thoughts at xfilestruth at live.com so for Agent Chelsea, Agent Stone Agent M and a special appearance by Agent Summer today thank you and a special thanks to Agent M for all his help and for his final web report today and we'll see you guys in two weeks We should have dropped this case when you were told. Scully, if what our friend from the CIA says is true, this could blow the lid off one of the biggest national security conspiracies ever. Our friend from the CIA is about as unbelievable as his story. As is everything about this case. I mean, whatever happened to trust no one, Mulder? to trust everyone. Have you checked your email this morning, Mulder? No, why? Because I received something unsettling and I wondered if you've gotten it too. I ran a full background check on this guy. Ambrose Chapel is a 17-year veteran, special intelligence clearance. He's the real thing, Scully. Where is he? I think you're being overly paranoid about him, Scully.
consider that maybe it was Agent Chapel who killed that field agent in Syracuse? Is that what you want me to put on my report to Skinner? Because I'd be more than happy to have you explain that. Damn it, Mulder, that is not my job. Pursue a case at the expense of everything to the point of insanity and expect me to follow you. There has to be somewhere to draw the line. Three identical men are dead. A fourth identical man is alive and on the land. If the pursuit of this case seems like insanity to you, feel free to step away. An FBI agent died because of our pursuit of this case. Those are the risks we take. You either accept them or you don't. Me. I need to talk to you immediately. I've got some new information on this case. Mulder, I think I'm in danger. I'm in my apartment and I think I've been followed. We all draw our own lines. I made this. 20th Century Fox. Too late for a game of Stratego? It's 22 years too late.